The Ken Carmen Show with Anthony Lima. Weekday mornings starting at 6. I once asked an older person. I was like 19 years old. I was like, so at, at that age, you find people attractive? Is that how that works? And they're like, yeah, definitely. I was like, I need that. I need to know that. I don't know. I'm not. I'm 34. I'm not. I haven't. I haven't been around. I don't. I don't know. You're giving me a funny look, Dominic. It's like if you're 75, do you find 75 year olds attractive? I would think that. I would hope that answer would be yes. Or I mean, there's a reason why Hugh Hefner only dated like 19 year olds, right? I mean, you tell me. Different story, different time. All right, let's go out to the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Let's talk to Joe DiBiase, WGR 550 in Buffalo. Joe, how's it going tonight, man? Hey, what's up, Jonathan? How you doing? Not much. Looking at the, one of the golf courses you retweeted on your Twitter account, and I'm getting kind of envious. Uh, you a big golfer yeah. or no? I am hitting the golf simulator like a couple times a week right now. I'm itching to get uh, the weather turned, but I feel like we got a while still. You you play the Encore Ball that Josh Allen sponsors? You do a different yeah. one. Those are those are hot around here. Local company. There you can't really uh, you can't really avoid them. That some Masters commercials on like during the game yesterday too got me itching for it. I love is was it Case Keenum that was the backup quarterback for Josh Allen for a little bit there and, and like part of the reasoning why was Josh Allen said Case Keenum was just awesome at golf. Yeah, <laughs> yes, him and uh, that's actually funny. Coincidentally, all of Josh Allen's backup quarterbacks are like incredible at golf. <laughs> Matt Barkley, I think, is maybe the best golfer that I've ever heard about or seen. At like the, the Bills had a tournament a couple years ago and he shot like in the sixties. Wow. And Keenum, I think, was like maybe in the right around that too. Like, the, yeah, I, Alan likes to golf during the off season, so I wouldn't. Uh, I don't feel like you're stretching too much to, to tie those two things together. No, oh, I love it. I think he's doing the pro am next week, right? Oh, always. Oh, he, man, Josh Allen does not miss a tournament during the off season. If he's invited, he's gonna he's gonna show up. I thought he did good with the uh, what was it Allen, Mahomes, Brady, and I'm missing Rogers. somebody. Rogers, Rogers, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought he did good. I mean, I mean, the, the highlight of those is obviously Barkley. You take Barkley off those, I don't know if it works, but but between the four of them, I thought Allen. I thought yeah. he did a good job showing character and such. No, he was. Yeah, I wonder if they. I wonder if they do that again. If he'll get another another crack at it. Cause last year it was like, wasn't it Clay Thompson and Steph Curry that they mixed in there? against so, Kelsey and Mahomes, right? Against Kelsey and Mahomes. We'll, we'll have to, I mean, they're running out of duos. I mean, they could do <laughs> Allen and well, whatever. I guess they'll, they'll, oh. they'll figure that out. Probably not <laughs> Allen and Diggs because they won't be teammates anymore or, or, or will no, they be? No, they'll, they'll, they, Hey, they'll, they'll be teammates. I mean, even if, Either side wanted to move on from that. That's a part of the Diggs discourse that's always missing, I think, is even if, and we don't have any credible, like, from him or report that's, like, definitive, no, he wants out. If he did, if he walked into Brandon Bean's office tomorrow and said, I want to be traded, I think Bean's response might be, okay, I mean, I don't know how I'm fitting a $31 million dead cap figure. So I don't even know what to tell you. Like I don't, I don't even think they could do it. Like logically, if even if he wanted to be traded. Yeah, I just keep, I keep envisioning you guys down twenty-seven ten to the Bengals in that snowstorm, six minutes left in the fourth quarter, and Diggs is just mm-hmm. yelling at Allen like, uh, like I would, like I would yell at someone yeah. I hated. Like it was just awful. Yeah. No, I mean that's that's how he kind of is, right? Like I actually have compared him to the way Jimmy Butler is in the NBA where like, he's kind of that same, like super fiery, but you know, once in a while, this was Butler, right? Like Minnesota, right? That blow up practice. Mm-hmm. And then he got into it with his coach once in Miami. Like 
Diggs is an insane ultra competitor, like I, uh, of which I don't know that I've really seen in, in Buffalo. Like I've seen other guys, like, I mean, if you want to go all the way out, Jordan was like this, you know, in the nineties. And I mentioned yeah. Butler and I think Brady was like this a little bit too. Like Diggs does not accept losing, but I don't, especially with Josh, I don't think there ever was really any animosity there. Like they, they're, the, the way they talk about each other, the way you see them interact, like at training camp and throughout this season, um, like Diggs, Diggs can get hot about his team losing. It's not even usually about him not getting the ball. It's legitimately for him that he cannot stand losing. Um, so I think, yeah, his emotion came out in that day, and really ever since, I don't, I haven't seen a ton that you know makes me think that him and Allen are you know not doing well behind the scenes. I want to share with you my my fun Jimmy Butler nugget, and then you can use it next time you talk about him being uh, Stephon right. Diggs being the, the same person, basically. Uh, Jimmy Butler owns really expensive cars, right? He obviously, every well, pro athlete yeah. buys really expensive yeah. cars. He cuts off the rear view mirrors on his cars because he doesn't want to see what's behind him. That's not a joke. Like that that's that, be, that's not that a joke. That's, be true. Yeah, boy, go look at any of them. They're, the rear view mirrors are all cut off because he doesn't want to see what's incredible. behind him. I need. I'm writing that down right now. So the next time I make that comparison, I don't forget that. That's amazing. <laughs> Joe DiBiase joining us here wow. on 92.3 The Fan. All right, before we get into some of why I want to have you on with Ken Dorsey, let me ask you, was there a part of Buffalo today in watching what the Chiefs did to the Ravens? Did you guys think to yourself, like, if we had just taken care of Kansas City the way that we thought we were going to, Baltimore wouldn't have been the team that we thought no. we were going to play? Yeah, a little bit. I, I think the sentiment was that, the Bills' defense, the way the injuries piled up at the end, I don't think could have done as well a job against Lamar Jackson that the Chiefs' defense did. But it's hard to not have that some version of what you just mentioned. That like, okay, actually, the Ravens weren't unbeatable. You know, even though they beat the Niners, you know, down the way they did, and some of the other regular season games, the Lions, they blew out some great teams during the regular season. Oh, look, they're not. You know, they, they're you can penetrate them. So I think. Defensively, I think that gives you some, you know, frustration after the Bills loss. But I don't know. I think the sentiment around here today is more like Chiefs in it again, and just okay. Maybe actually not as much heat on Sean McDermott because hmm. there's the Chiefs again in it. Like, oh, nobody really can do this. And the Bengals did it one time, and it took shutting them out in a second half and overtime to stop the Chiefs from going to five consecutive Super Bowls. There's a little bit of the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick complex. The Bills every year walked into a season 0-2, and, and it was just, we're going to wait out the Patriots and hope that this eventually ends. And this kind of, unfortunately, I guess what it feels like with the Chiefs, which is they're just going to go every year, aren't they? And like I, I think that's really the low point of the, the fan base this morning. It feels like, the Chiefs are just going to be here until Andy Reid decides to retire whenever that ends up being. That's a very interesting twist. So McDermott's almost being let off the hook a little bit now. That's that's fascinating. I, a, a little bit. Like, in a way of, like, well, there's really nothing you can do. Like, yeah. nobody is doing this. Like, okay, go fire Sean McDermott and bring in another coach, but there's no coach that's beating the Chiefs. Like, mm-hmm. what, what you're asking him to do, nobody looks like they're capable of doing it. I know I'm – the Bengals have been the one team that has been able to do it. Um, so not entirely. I mean, he still has a pretty big crowd, I think, that you know would like to see it eventually become a hot seat situation for McDermott. But I also don't think at the same time he's actually on any real hot seat. I think him and the owner you know, 
are pretty tight. I think the GM's in lockstep. Like as much as the fans want to talk about his job security, I really don't think it's a discussion in the building. Was Ken Dorsey a scapegoat? Uh, yes and no. Yes and no. I think I think it can be true that he was a scapegoat and maybe also deserved to be fired at the same time. Like the game in which he got fired immediately after, it, it kind of, you know, for McDermott, I almost feel like the timing hurt him. And maybe it was that he should have done it a week earlier and maybe the discourse would have been different because he fired him right after his defense had a bad play call, let Russell Wilson move down the field at the end of the game, and then a 12-man penalty on the field at the end of the game costs them and lets the Broncos kick a field goal for the win. The immediate events leading up to Dorsey's firing is what everybody was looking at and going, well, he didn't do that. You did that. And I think that almost hurt McDermott in this. But like on our show, we had been discussing Dorsey's job security for weeks before that. The Bills had been moving the ball with these short passes, but the downfield element of their game, explosive plays, they were like bottom five in the league with Dorsey this year. It had all completely vanished. And I think he was not doing really the best he could have been doing with the offense. Again, timing was kind of weird. So I do think he kind of got scapegoated because McDermott maybe got pushed over the finish line on him because he was starting to get the heat. But at the same time, I do think there were credible reasons why it made sense for the Bills to move on from Dorsey at the time. From a Browns perspective, then, do you feel like, and I, he's not going to call the plays. I'd be very surprised if Svansky right. gives that up. Uh, but from a Browns perspective, then, do you feel like Ken Dorsey was the right hire? Or do you feel like we're just getting somebody that, yeah, he might have had some success, but a lot of people can have success with Josh Allen. And the success he had probably wasn't enough. May- I, you correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but the way I see Dorsey there, it's more of a natural fit for me than what he was here with the Bills. I think the word I would want to describe Dorsey's offense with the Bills were, was confusion, which was I think he was trying to make them. I mean, his, he grew up and came up as a coach with the Cam Newton Panthers, who ran a ton of 12 personnel, two tight ends on the field, lots of play action. You at least had the one similarity, which was, a running quarterback, and that part of their offense I do think worked um, when they wanted to do it. But the rest of it, like that Panthers team that went 15-1, and Dorsey was on that staff, that team was very run-heavy. They had a great run game at that point in time. And I think he wanted to make the Bills some version of that. They drafted Dalton Kincaid when they already had Dawson Knox on a big contract. They drafted James Cook in the second round last year. They brought in Damian Harris. Like I think they drafted linemen this offseason that were very good run blockers. I think what Dorsey wanted was to kind of make them an under center, two tight end, play action type of team with Josh Allen. When Allen historically has been at his best spreading it out, five receivers on the field or four receivers in a tight end, whatever, and that way he's got guys that can get open, and if he can't, then he can decide to run as a plan B. And I don't think that's really the offense that Dorsey wanted to play. So, again, you correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the way I've seen Kevin Stefanski offenses no, over that, the years. No, that first one was and, exactly Stefanski. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, and, like, the play-action game that he's been doing since Minnesota, and if Nick Chubb gets healthy, and the, their line, I think, is a better run-blocking line than the Bills have been. I, and Joku and the, 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 the Harrison Bryant. I just think personnel-wise, Dorsey is a more natural fit for what he's walking into in Cleveland if they stick with that than what the Bills, I think, what he was trying to make the Bills into. 
So what changed when Joe Brady took over? It was, I, the run game obviously was a big factor of that, but is that yeah. was, was it that evident that the offense had really evolved and moved to something different? A, a little bit. I think there's two two things really changed under Joe Brady. They they increased the amount of motion in their offense, and they increased their short uh, screen passing game in a big way. They used the running backs down the field. I think the the passing game that it just kind of changed. Like they, I think they understood what they were not. They understood that they were not a team that they understood their weaknesses, I guess I should say, because they didn't have the speed. They didn't have the downfield separators past Stephon Diggs. And he was getting double teamed the entire season. Um, I think a lot of the things Dorsey was doing that weren't working were causing Allen to throw the ball into contested situations. I don't think he kind of had a great understanding play calling wise, what his quarterback really wanted. And Allen would go throw it anyway. And you could say that's a criticism of Allen, too. I think Joe Brady realized, okay, Josh is going to throw these passes anyway, so I've got to get these open. And however I'm going to do that, you know, whether it was the motion, I think, is really what helped do that for their offense. But the second thing, and I don't even know this is Dorsey's fault, because this could come from the top down. This could come from ownership or the management above McDermott or probably McDermott. They decided to run Josh Allen after they fired Ken Dorsey. And I think at the beginning of the year, they wanted to keep him healthy. They wanted to keep the hits off of him. They thought they could get to the playoffs, win the division, and be competitive for the one seed without running Josh Allen. And then they fired Dorsey. They hit their bye week. And I think they probably decided, we don't have the horses on offense. We don't have the guys that get open, a receiver, to not run Allen. Let's run Josh Allen. And I think the handcuffs, Dorsey, Dorsey had handcuffs, I think, on Allen running that mm-hmm. Joe Brady did not. And I think that's another area where it's not even his fault, but that's a big reason why I think the offense looked better in some respects than when Dorsey was calling plays. Joe, fantastic insight as always. Appreciate you giving us a few minutes, and uh, hopefully we catch up with you later. Thank you, Joe. Definitely. Thanks, man. All right, good stuff right there. Joe DiBiase, love that. A North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. We're going to react to some of what he had to say. Uh, I, when he described it the way that he did, in regards to Kevin Stefanski and that offense, I mean, that's that's interesting to me because that is exactly what Kevin Stefanski likes to do. I, does it not? It's, it's perfectly aligned. It makes a little bit more sense. I don't know that I love that for Deshaun Watson, though, and that's a little bit of a worry for myself. 216-474 to below 92. We come on back. We'll get to that. And also, I haven't touched on what happened yesterday in the NFL, and I got to ask you, there's one big takeaway I got. Was the game just too big for Lamar Jackson? We'll do that and more. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterman here with you on The Fan. All righty, back into here on The Fan. It is Jonathan Peterman here with you guys. Joe DiBiase had great stuff right there. Let's hear from Joe. This is what Joe had to say. The Bills had been moving the ball with these short passes but the downfield element of their game, explosive plays, they were like bottom five in the league with Dorsey this year. It had all completely vanished. And I think he was not doing really the best he could have been doing with the offense. Again, timing was kind of weird. So I do think he kind of got scapegoated because McDermott maybe got pushed over the finish line on him because he was starting to get the heat. But at the same time, I do think there were credible reasons why it made sense for the Bills to move on from Dorsey at the time. 
All right, Joe DiBiase there, WGR 550, joined us moments ago. Odyssey Rewind, go back and listen to the 8 o'clock hour. What's fascinating is that that does make it feel like it is a, yeah, he probably didn't deserve to lose his job, but because it did work out so well, who can really argue about it? I mean, Joe Brady stepped in. Offense did get going. They ended up being favorites against the Chiefs two weeks ago, and the rest is history, right? He becomes the main offensive coordinator. Joe Brady does. The offense it moves. Josh Allen's able. Now, that's the other part. And Joe mentioned this, and I feel like a lot of Buffalo people we've had on today have mentioned that as well. Dorsey didn't have the luxury of having Josh Allen be able to move and run around. And part of what makes Josh Allen so special is his ability to run and be able to move around. But the, the worrisome part here, here's where I'll, I'll, I'll let you in. The worrisome part to me was that Joe made it sound like the explosive Josh Allen was kind of kept in check. The explosive Josh Allen, the deep throws, the deep passes, the part that makes Josh Allen special. I mean, Josh Allen was taken in the first round, not because Josh Allen was wildly accurate. He wasn't. He completed 56% of his passes at Wyoming. Okay, He was not an accurate quarterback in the slightest bit of him. Any sort of measurement you would have. He was always going to be a project. Why Josh Allen was taken... The way the place that he was was because of his arm. The, the scouting report on Josh Allen legitimately was the man can throw it over the barn. We just don't know if he could hit the barn. He's got one of the biggest arms the league has ever seen. It's him and Justin Herbert in like a debate for who's got the the biggest arm in the NFL. Ergo, the biggest arm we've ever seen. It's incredible. What he can do as far as arm strength and being able to toss toss the pigskin. But Josh Allen not being able to do that is very worrisome to me. Because I, I don't know how you have Josh Allen and then think to yourself, all I'm going to do is a bunch of bubble screens. All I'm going to do is a bunch of uh, slant plays. All I'm going to do is a bunch of short to intermediate stuff and not take advantage of what he does best. And if Deshaun Watson is here... What I what worried me about the first two years of the Deshaun Watson experiment so far is that Deshaun Watson hasn't been anywhere close to the Deshaun Watson we knew in Houston because that Deshaun Watson is basically dead. He went from 300 yards a game to now averaging 180 yards per game in each of the two seasons he's been here. They just don't use him deep. Joe Flacco was able to light it up up and have a bunch of different plays go deep down the field. Amari was involved. All sorts of different players got involved. And it, it didn't matter who it was. He was able to catch him and, and he was able to, to target him deep. And we haven't seen that from Deshaun Watson. I, I'm a little concerned. I understand what Joe was saying and I think it makes a lot of sense because the, the system he described actually is what Kevin Savansky does best. Two tight end set up. You know, uh, making it all work within that type of offense. I just don't know that that's a Deshaun Watson I want to sign up for. He didn't pay Deshaun Watson $230 million to be a check down Charlie. I asked you guys a couple weeks ago, is Deshaun Watson more of a game manager or a game changer? At this point, I said the evidence was largely in favor of him being a game manager more so than game changer. Well, Ken Dorsey didn't make Josh Allen be a game changer. Ken Dorsey, if anything, was trying to limit what Josh Allen does best, and that that worries me a little bit. Not a lot, just a little bit. Other fascinating thing before we get to Lamar Jackson, I just want to touch on this. The idea that Patrick Mahomes could be so awesome 
it's letting Sean McDermott off the hook a little bit is a wild development to me. And one I personally didn't see coming, but when told by Joe that's what's happening in Buffalo, it makes 100% sense why it would be happening that way. We're not giving Kevin Stefanski that same leeway because Kevin Stefanski right now isn't playing against one team. Kevin Stefanski's playing against the entire AFC. So it's a little bit different. If you're playing for spot five, six, seven, and you're playing for the AFC North and you're playing for all these other type of things, like it's a, it's a little bit different. The Bills are legitimately playing with the belief that if Patrick Mahomes let's say instead of going to Texas Tech and being able to be drafted in the first round, decided that he wanted to play baseball instead of playing football, they genuinely believe they would be a multi-time Super Bowl champion at this point. And because of that belief is why Sean McDermott still has his job, one, and two, today is getting a lot of leeway from a lot of sports fans in Buffalo. Wild. And fascinating to me. And I, I knew uh, about a month and a half before the season ended, Sean McDermott wasn't going to get canned. You had that big article that came out that suggested all sorts of weird things around Sean McDermott. Like who he was who he was looking for as far as for inspiration from 9-11. Like weird things that should never be that should never be used as a messaging system for any coach or any person. But ultimately. He wasn't fired because about a month and a half before the season ended, we just kept hearing about the relationship he has with that owner and that ownership. So it's interesting the fans have kind of gotten on board, though, because they have the understanding that if Patrick Mahomes just didn't exist, maybe they'd be a Super Bowl winner at this point, and maybe they would have had a bunch more success. They genuinely believe the one team, whether it's the 13-second game or whether it's even the game this year, there's just one team that has consistently gotten in the way of their dreams and everything being accomplished and that's the Chiefs. Fascinating to me. All right, two one six four seven four to below ninety two on Twitter. There you can find me. I am at Jay Peter. And now I want to talk about the Ravens and what happened yesterday as well. Yesterday, just a. I hope you guys sat around and just kind of watched football and took it all in the way that I did. It was a lot of fun to just sit back and and I do it every weekend, so it's not like a, a massive deal for me. But it really felt like. When we get back the numbers, it's going to be about fifty million or so people that ended up watching these things. It really felt like all 50 million were watching these games. It felt like it was a, a really good, it's kind of a good vibe around these games. A lot of anticipation for these games as well. It just kind of was a, it was just a nice football day. I don't think there's any other way to look at it. I had some pizza, which is, I broke my diet a little bit. I've been doing a lot of protein shakes. I've been doing a lot of, I added avocado toast in the morning now. I got avocado toast with an egg on top. It's kind of a nice little development for me. I feel good eating it. And uh, and I, I had some pizza yesterday, though. I was able to just kind of take in the games, just kind of enjoy myself, right? And and I was coming off Saturday on CBS Sports Radio. You know, when I do the Saturday CBS Sports Radio shows, you know, sometimes they give you a little bit of a different perspective than what we'd have locally. You know, when I when I talk about Lamar Jackson or something and I do that locally, it is a lot of, I mean, it's our own little bubble. And I love our bubble, but it's our little bubble. It's our bubble. Everyone I talk to hates the Ravens. Everyone I talk to can't stand the fact that the Ravens have any sort of success ever. You can't stand what happened with Art Modell. You can't stand what happened with the franchise in general. Uh, Seeing Ray Lewis makes you want to vomit. Understandably so. Understandably so. Him wearing his... uh, his different... like It's like the silhouette of himself with the 52 in the middle. As if we don't know that's his silhouette. 
okay, fine, Ray. Okay, fine. But I did the show. And I threw out there. I said, is Lamar's season a failure? And and part of my justification of it all is that if he would have won, then in one 60-minute game, he could have done three things that would have been important. He could have justified the massive contract the Ravens gave him. He could have erased any doubt there was any sort of playoff woes around him. And he would have legitimately solidified himself as a top three quarterback in the game. And for my money, it would have been Mahomes, Burrow, and then Lamar. There's three things, massive things, that were at stake for Lamar Jackson in this game. And because he didn't win that game, I believe all three are now like the Uno reverse card. We went from one knowledge to another. Instead, now the massive contract the Ravens gave him isn't necessarily justified, and Ravens fans have to wonder whether or not they're getting the better end of that deal, even though he's going to win his second MVP award. He did not erase any doubt of his playoff woes. In fact, he only stamped down the fact that he's got as many playoff wins as Baker, Reagan, Mayfield. And the first half of the Houston game was tied up at 10 apiece. Didn't look good there. Definitely felt like he had some nerves. And that whole entire game on Sunday felt like he was playing nervous as well. And the third thing is solidifying himself as a top three quarterback in the game. Sorry, I got to bring Josh Allen back in the mix now. Now you're firmly top four, not top three. Does it make that big of a difference? Probably not. But it is about perception and how people look at you. But what was amazing is on CBS Sports Radio on Saturday, the amount of phone calls that I got from all sorts of different people just talking and talking and talking. I must have taken 25 calls from Baltimore alone. I was cleared in the Baltimore market. So that means I was my show was being aired in Baltimore the way it was being aired in here in Cleveland. And I got to tell you, I had no idea they were this cocky about this football team. I talked to our buddy Rob Long. We aired that here on, uh, on Friday night on Overtime with Jonathan Peterwin. Big bad morning show in Baltimore. Morning show radio host. He's fantastic at what he does. And all we could do was talk about how the Ravens were this and the Ravens were that and all the things that would have to go wrong in order for them to lose that game, and everyone just kind of forgot that Patrick Mahomes existed. Just a a wild development. But Ravens fans could not have been more cocky about it. And I'm thinking about it now after the game has ended, and and there's, listen, I could break down the games until I'm blue in the face. You've had 24 hours to break down that game and that loss. You've heard it from... Everyone, you've heard it from people all over the radio station today. You've heard it from your favorite radio host, your favorite television host. You've heard it from just about everyone. So I don't know that I'm going to have anything crazy about the actual games to offer. That's a completely different perspective. But what my different perspective is on this is that I do think the game was too big for Lamar. I do think the moment was too big for Lamar. And we can't undersell what that means for not only the Ravens moving forward, but also what it means for the AFC moving forward as well. I've told you this story before about Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes once did what what it's called a whoop band is what it's called, right? And it's a band he wears on his wrist and it measures his heart rate. And so like all throughout the game and everything, it's a promotional thing. But, you know, it's it's supposed to sell you your own heart rate at any given time. But they put it on Patrick Mahomes, and they wanted to monitor in the Bills game, the 13-second game from a couple years ago. Where was his heart rate at any given moment? When the Bills had the ball is when his heart rate was the highest. When is When they didn't have the ball and when he was on the field, when you think his heart rate would be through the roof, 
That's when Patrick Mahomes' heart rate was, in fact, the lowest. Stone cold assassin. I talked to a guy that did a story on The Athletic, and it was about Joe Burrow, and then Joe Burrow's high school coach was one of the people that was interviewed in that story. And the guy was telling me this story, right? He's like, I'm talking to Joe Burrow's high school coach, and he's telling me, he goes, yeah, if Joe Burrow didn't play in the NFL, he'd be a murderer. You know, murderer? Murderer. You know, you don't mean that. He said, well, obviously, I don't mean that. He's not out there killing people. But but I always said, if he didn't, the way his brain worked and the way his mind worked, he just had no emotions. He had zero emotions in the biggest moments when everyone else has emotions. And I, I wondered if that was a trait of elite athletes in general, right? Mahomes, Burrow. I wondered if Lamar also had that same trait. But now we look forward in Lamar's two and five in playoff games in his career. In the biggest game of his career, he vomited all over his shoes. And I just have to wonder to myself, if some people are born different, maybe Lamar's not born different. Maybe Lamar's just like you and me. And in those big-time moments, maybe you get a little nervous. Maybe you do understand that pressure is attached to what you're currently doing. And I feel like it's just a little bit different for Lamar. And what got exposed over the weekend was exactly that. 216474 to below 92. Was the game too big for Lamar? And is Lamar's season a failure? We'll continue on with this. Fan focus at 9. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterman here with you on The Fan. Don't love when that happens. No, we don't have to discuss the foggy brain moment. As Dominic moves the mic away. <laughs> he goes, you want to talk about the foggy brain moment? Great. Let's move the mic closer. And I'm like, no, no, no. We don't have to We don't have to bring up what a bird brain I have sometimes. It's, you know, when doing the show, you just get so you so you get so engrossed in what you're you're thinking about and the directions you're gonna be moving. And then uh and every now and then you just you just you just make a dumb dumb. Dumb, dumb move. That's all that is. All right, we're back. We're ready to go. Uh, so it's funny. I, I get a buddy of mine on Twitter uh, that I, I know just through my time in Houston, and, and his name is uh, Paul Galan is his name, and he hosted ESPN 97.5 in Houston. He's a good dude, good broadcaster, right? And he's hosting one of those those X spaces, right, the Twitter spaces. And the headline on his Twitter space is, Sunday was another reason I prefer C.J. Stroud over Lamar Jackson. And he does like the obligatory hashtags for like we are Texans and all that nonsense, right? And I, I just it speaks to where people are in the perception of Lamar Jackson and how one game can drastically change everything you think about a person. One game, one AFC title game, a week after both Lamar and CJ Stroud dueled, and Lamar absolutely destroyed that man. One week later, and all of a sudden it's different. Now, I'm sure if we were to ask Paul why he believes that, Paul would talk about the contract, and he would say C.J. Stroud is on a, a rookie deal that is much cheaper than what you'd pay for Lamar Jackson. And if everything's equal, I would much rather pay a rookie quarterback than pay Lamar Jackson. But I, I would bet he'd also add in the same thing I was talking about with you guys, where I do believe that mentally Lamar Jackson might not be where we need him to be. Because on the biggest games and the biggest stage, he has not shown up. He's got two career playoff wins. The playoff woes discussion was something he could put to bed if he had won that game. That interception in the end zone, absolutely unforgivable. No other way to put it. And at first, I wondered if I was babying him a little bit too much 
in the discussion with whether or not it was the game too big for Lamar, and I was giving him a little bit too much of a pass. And I want to hear from you, 216-474-0092. Shouldn't I be holding him to a higher standard? I, I mean, I just, I just want to know. If we're going to hold him to the standard of C.J. Stroud, let's say, then that's different. We're going to hold him to the standard of somebody that's a fringe top 10 quarterback that maybe has some room to grow, then yeah, I'm probably being too hard on him. But if we're going to look at Lamar Jackson, who's a two-time league MVP winner, then don't we have to look at him a little bit differently than we do everyone else? You guys know the the names that are attached to being a two-time league MVP winner. I mean, it, everyone that has been a two-time league MVP winner is either in the Hall of Fame or is going to be in the Hall of Fame by way of Patrick Mahomes being the last remaining one that isn't, right? And obviously Aaron Rodgers as well, who is still active. Hell, I can go through the list. Peyton Manning, Hall of Famer. Aaron Rodgers, going to be Hall of Famer. Jim Brown, Hall of Famer. Johnny Unitas, Hall of Famer. Brett Favre, Hall of Famer. Tom Brady, going to be Hall of Famer. Joe Montana, Hall of Famer. Steve Young, Hall of Famer. Kurt Warner, Hall of Famer. Patrick Mahomes, going to be a Hall of Famer. When you win two league MVPs, you are putting yourself in a different echelon than the entire rest of the NFL. You're no longer just that guy. This is why the debate about Jokic winning three in the NBA was such a big discussion. Like, wait, wait, three? No, 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 no. That club is way too exclusive. That club, Three in a row only happens for Bird, by the way. But three in total? That club's way too exclusive. Is Jokic really the guy that's going to be up there with the rest of the three-time winners? You got to talk about these things. Legacies matter like that. And more likely than not, he's also going to be the the second two-time unanimous league MVP winner as well. Like that doesn't, that's not something you see often. When it comes to Lamar, I got to hold him to a higher standard than I hold Josh Allen to. I got to hold him to a higher standard than I hold some of these other quarterbacks to. Lamar Jackson has as many league MVP wins as Josh Allen has Pro Bowls. I got to hold him to these high standards. And so if I'm going to, then I got to tell you, what happened on Sunday wasn't good enough. And if I'm a Baltimore fan, I genuinely do wonder, doesn't matter what team I put together, am I going to make it the distance if Patrick Mahomes is still playing? It's not too dissimilar to what a lot of people in Buffalo are asking themselves right now. And really, I think what a lot of people across the AFC are asking themselves is If Patrick Mahomes is just the cheat code of cheat codes, how do we get by that guy? We can't keep giving everyone a pass because Patrick Mahomes exists. But how do you get by this guy? How do you beat this guy who in six years is now going to his fourth Super Bowl? It seems like an impossible ask. And it's not like there are a million quarterbacks that have played in a Super Bowl that are active right now in the NFL as it is. Rodgers, Burrow, Mahomes, Hurts, Russ, if he gets to start next year, Golf, what is that, like six, seven guys? That number is small for a reason. Making it to the Super Bowl is incredibly tough. With the standards set by everyone else that has accomplished what Lamar Jackson has accomplished, minus the postseason success or lack of success that he currently lives with, I we got to expect more from him, do we not? But if you're a Baltimore fan, I don't know how you wake up today thinking to yourself you had the very best team you ever could have tried to have, and you still fell short. You had one of the best defenses I've seen in the previous decade in football. You have a league MVP quarterback in Lamar Jackson, as we discussed. You have the best receiving core that Baltimore has been able to put around Lamar Jackson. 
one of the best rookie wide receivers in the game in Zay Flowers. I mean, playmakers everywhere. And you weren't able to even really come close. That game wasn't as close as anyone wants to make it seem like it was. How defeating is that? 216474 to below 92. There was so much on the line for Lamar. He has been the one seed twice, MVP twice, only has two playoff wins. His big celebration when he wins his second MVP award is going to look like a what happened. It's another footnote in what is one of the weirdest NFL and college football careers we've ever seen combined. Wins a Heisman, but is told he should be a receiver instead. Wins league MVP. Has to play hardball for the same contract that others would have been offered and in his position. And now this. 216474 to below 92. Jerry, up next on the fan. What's up, Jerry? Hey, how you doing? Hey, Jerry. Uh, first, I'll preface everything by saying I do enjoy listening to you. But, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll disagree with everything you're saying. Hey, open number forum one, for that, Jerry. You know that. Yeah, number one, he's he's still very young. It's, it reminds me of John Elway, people criticizing him because he couldn't win at all. He kept losing when he got to the Super Bowl. And for you to bring up Jokic, I mean, one of the greatest players we've ever seen. I don't care whether you win a championship or not, but I think when you put it on one player too much, you're downplaying too much what the other players are out there. And then in football, things rely more on the coach, more so than any other sport, to put that player in the position. Jerry, don't they don't they win. have one of the best coaches in the game in Harbaugh? I think they do personally. Well, we're talking about that specific game. And this guy's come through without We've seen what uh, they look like without him. Oh, it's night they, and day. For sure it's night and day. Right. They depend so much on Lamar Jackson to do. They have to depend on him too much, if anything. And just like, where would Denver be without Jokic? I mean, <laughs> well, that wasn't the point. The point is where does Jokic stack up with other three-time league MVP winners? Was kind of, And that wasn't even really my debate. That was the debate around Jokic when people were talking about whether or not He'd be uh, he'd be a three time winner. Because the way I uh, I look at players is what they do in terms of winning. You know, um, I've seen players who come out there they might not even score as much. One of the greatest point guards I've ever seen, and a lot of people wouldn't consider, was Gary Payton, the glove. Yeah, yeah. He he could give you everything you need uh, to win to win in the NBA. And, no, he's not scoring as much as uh, Steph Curry and some of those players. You know, we kind of – it's a player that can adapt to any situation. That's what makes them a great player. That's why I used to think it was a joke when they would compare – and I like Steph Curry, but don't compare him to LeBron James. You know, to me, to me that's a joke because LeBron James has to do so much on defense, offense. Uh, yeah, they're different. Assists. They're different, yeah, for sure. And with Lamar Jackson leads the team in rushing and <laughs> and uh, uh yes, has, yesterday he was the second leading receiver at halftime too, oddly enough. Yeah, I he mean had he cool has play to, to do too much. So I think what the team is yeah, but, doing, but you gotta year, make it so it's Jerry, lighter on him like Brock. I, yeah, Jerry, I appreciate you. I do, and I'm gonna let you go here, but I, I feel like I feel like this was the year that he didn't need to rely on just himself. Right? When you have Zay Flowers, 
OBJ, I know Andrews was injured for a little bit as well, but Nelson Aguilar came along late in the year and was really pretty good as well. And then likely was Isaiah Likely was awesome in absence of Mark Andrews. Collectively, Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely put together what would have been uh, tight end number one in the NFL. All these guys, I'm just going offensively. Defensively, we know about the Hamiltons of the world. We know all the, the Roquan Smith and everything that the impact they had defensively. But like this year, if there was ever a year Lamar didn't need to be everything, Lamar tried and still was able to be everything in the regular season. In the regular season, you can't take anything away from him. He was the best quarterback in football by far. He was one of the best players we've seen in years with what he was able to do. He would have thrown for 4,000 yards if he had gotten that offense going uh, together just a little bit earlier than what he was able to. He was fantastic. Not taking that away from him. But all I can speak to is what happened in the postseason. In the first half against Houston, they scored 10 points, and he was very meh. And then, in this game, he had the interception into the end zone. And it was good night, Jim Kite. Collectively. And the run game that he had built everything into, he completely abandoned. And I understand that wasn't in the script for what the game wanted once the game got to a certain point. But my goodness, you can't take that part of your game away. I was screaming at the television. There were so many times Lamar Jackson had opportunities to go off for a big-time run, kind of like he did with the one big play in the first quarter when it was a fourth and one and he direct snapped it and was like, all right, I guess I'm doing it on my own. 23 yards later, here we go. Like I thought it was going to be a lot of that. And he did it that one time and then he didn't do it again. The best part of Lamar Jackson's game got iced out, not by the Chiefs defense. It got iced out by Lamar Jackson. How do you have that happen? I thought there was a lot of mistakes. A lot of mistakes. And I bet when they look back on that one, I, I think they'll look around and they'll say, yeah, sure, the defense didn't do us many favors, but Lamar Jackson didn't do himself many favors either. All right, we come on back. We're going to get to the fan focus. And uh, as we always do, I want to give you a little bit, a little taste of what you're going to experience in the fan focus. Here we go. Now is where I kind of make fun of Ken. I would like to point out this tweet that I saw today, driving in today. All right, you'll hear what that tweet was, how Nick made fun of Ken, and so much more. Fan focus next. It's overtime with Jonathan Beadle here with you on the fan.